Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 11 of season one of This Osteopathic Life. If you've been listening from the beginning, I thank you. And if this is your first episode or a smattering of them that you've listened to, I thank you as well and welcome you. If you did hear the first episode, you'll know that the number 11 is quite important to me. It holds significance personally. It was my number in sports early on. It's my wedding anniversary, 11-11. And it's a connection point within our family for the awareness that it's a special number for all of us. It's also a special number in the world of numerology and various significance. And it was interesting, as always, as I investigate the concepts for the podcasts, the learning I get to experience in so doing. And as I approached episode 11, I reflected on the outline I've created for topics I want to cover. And some certainly needed to occur in a particular order um, for creating background and understanding and awareness and purpose. But 11 felt like perhaps it should have its own moment and not necessarily within the confines of the menu of concepts I hoped to cover. And as I researched and looked at 11, what I really appreciated about it is that it's seen as kind of a message from the universe to check in and to see, you know, are we engaged? Are we centered in ourselves? And it's a call to maintain integrity, open our awareness, realign, reaffirm, and reestablish and rebalance ourselves. And I thought that was very appropriate as I looked at this episode and where we are in the process of this osteopathic life and the developments, and also on reflecting on some things that have happened in the past week or so in my own life. And a concept that came up yesterday at the end of my clinic day which was Friday, and I am a day late on this episode, but I'm giving myself some grace in the way the day in life and priorities unfolded to spend time live with people and delay the recording to a time that was appropriate and more convenient for all. I came upon the concept of coincidence. And in discussion, you know, reflecting on the patients we had seen through the day and how certain complaints come up. Or we might have been talking about something totally unrelated and a patient walked in and had also just been participating in that concept. And you think, well, isn't it interesting 
how that exists. And it sparked for me this experience of what we refer to in our residency as coincidental medicine. And I thought I'd start there for today and see how this episode unfolds with reflection. So the majority of the patients we see in our specialty, neuromusculoskeletal medicine and osteopathic manipulative medicine, present with a complaint of pain of some sort, back pain or neck pain or headaches. And we take a history and perform a physical exam. And if it's appropriate, we apply osteopathic manipulative treatment, hands-on treatment, to remove restrictions in the body that are interfering with its greatest capacity for health. And sometimes patients will experience immediate pain relief. They might have shoulder pain and we treat the ribs and the muscles around the shoulder girdle. And as soon as they sit up from the treatment table, they feel better. They have better range of motion. Their pain is less. And they can relate that perhaps to the treatment. Sometimes, however, a patient may have that same experience. They agree to and receive treatment. They don't notice a whole lot of change at the time of the treatment. And then they leave and they come back for a scheduled follow-up visit to see how things are going, to make any adjustments in their treatment plan, to go over exercises, to decide if further evaluation is needed, perhaps with x-rays or lab work. And I would say it's not uncommon that a patient would come back and be asked, you know, how are things going? Tell me how you're doing today. And they would make a comment to the effect of, you know, I really haven't noticed that shoulder pain much since I was here. And don't relate it at all to the treatment. And I can recall very specific moments as a resident coming out of the room and feeling so frustrated. And those not directly involved in medicine, when you're a resident, you see a patient do an evaluation, make your recommendations, and we'll have to present that to your attending physician who agrees or disagrees with you, comes in and does their own exam, makes adjustments together, and you know oversees you as you're learning and helps guide the process. And oftentimes it can be quite frustrating. You know, you go in and see this patient and you feel like there's been this success. You know, you've seen them and treated them and their pain got better. And then for them to not draw any conclusion to that can be frustrating, especially in a profession where there's still the onus to prove the merits of the work and to show that it has any relationship to physiology and direct impacts on pain. And I remember debriefing you know, over lunch with my fellow residents and thinking, oh my gosh, like, can you believe all that work and they don't even see the connection. And there are times in present day, now that I'm the attending physician, I'm not presenting to anyone. It's me and the patient. And these events will still occur, particularly perhaps in the style of treatment that I use. It's what we would call indirect. And so it doesn't necessarily feel obvious that something is happening in the treatment. You know, if you have your neck cracked, you can relate perhaps that, okay, this my neck was cracked, something shifted. If I feel better, it's because of that. In indirect treatments, we're engaging with different levels in the body, be it on the fluid, 
on the fascia, which is the lining around your muscles that's connected throughout the whole body. Um, we can impact the nervous system. And it can be harder to draw those direct connections. And as I've progressed and as I've spent more time in this profession, sometimes I stop and think, does it matter if they make the connection? If the ultimate goal is for health to improve for that patient, if they get better, does it matter that it's because of my treatment and certainly in validation and legitimacy and appropriateness of care and justification of seeing me and engaging with me and you know, paying for it by cash or by insurance. It matters in that realm. But sometimes I often think too, does that make it about me? And there's been this call to check your ego at the door to recognize that the patient has within them the inherent capacity to be well and that shift towards health and towards wellness for it to have begun and that engagement with me you know, as a physician, giving them guidance and insight and taking a good history and highlighting for them the source of their pain and some options for impacting it. That can include osteopathic manipulative treatment that also requires some active participation on their part of gaining awareness and insight and perhaps exercises and you know, maybe topical supplemental um, treatments. Doesn't matter that it was or was not the treatment. And that leads me to rethink the idea of coincidence. And you know, thinking about the definition specifically, a remarkable concurrence of events or circumstances without apparent causal connection. Or the fact of corresponding in nature or in time of occurrence. So did they just get better, coincidentally, starting from the time when we first met? Maybe. There are physiological explanations, you know, to explain the improvements that happen as a result of treatment. And there's the reality of the matter, and there's the risk of being lumped into voodoo or woo-woo type treatments. And certainly that's something we seek to avoid, having undertaken all this training in medicine and physiology and pathophysiology and anatomy and skill building in training our hands to palpate for nuances in the musculoskeletal system and understand the relationships with all different parts of the body. I certainly wouldn't discredit that for the sake of saying it could certainly happen by chance that this person got well after 20 years of shoulder pain at the same time they saw me and in two weeks are no longer bothered by it. And it can be an uncomfortable place to sit sometimes and ponder and consider. But if I'm still holding true to the principles of the inherent capacity to be well and the influence of structure and function, you know, that puts my role in there perhaps a little more strongly. And about the unity of the person in their body, mind, and spirit, and perhaps some of the greatest therapeutic potential is in drawing those connections for them in illustrating what the positive and negative influences on their health might be and where they have an opportunity 
to tap into those and hopefully influence them for the better. And as I explored further the concept of coincidence, it's really fascinating because there are also many schools of thought, but two big schools of thought that, you know, coincidence simply is. You know, there's so many events happening. There's so many people and moments that really to not have things happen at the same time ever would be very unusual. But the meaning we assign to it is really up to us. And I sit with that as well in concepts of everything happens for a reason and that there is this great plan and we're all living within it or that everything is quite random and we get to choose what meaning we assign. And I would probably tend toward the latter, but at the same time also recognize in the oneness of the universe, if we're believing that we have our common unity and something that impacts one of us can have a ripple effect out into the entirety of the universe, perhaps there are no random coincidences. But opportunities for connection and to create the meaning that we need or that is helpful to what's happening. In the course of this week, there were two experiences I had that were quite fascinating to me. And one occurred just yesterday, which would have been the day of the podcast, had I stuck to my original plan. And it was an article that came out entitled, Physicians are Eagles Who Believe They Are Chickens. And it was published highlighting a group of four physicians who are suing the ABIM, the American Board of Internal Medicine, for maintenance of certification processes, alleging that the board is monopolizing the market and that it is causing financial and personal and professional strife for physicians in creating requirements that are obtrusive to the practice of medicine and costly and failure of the examinations leads to inappropriate removal from insurance plans and hospital privileges and is doing nothing to actually serve patients or physicians in the process, but is more a money-making scheme of sorts. In the article, alluding to a fable about an eagle who was raised as a chicken and as such believed himself to have only the potential of the chicken, was used to say, you know, physicians can get used to the abuse and the oppression and the mandates and requirements of the system. And we live in this world of high liability and towing the line and following these recommendations so that we can hold the right credentials and certifications to be accepted by insurance plans and hospitals and receive payment and stay legit. And this group of physicians are leading the way and saying, but why? And is this fair? Is this appropriate? Is this serving us? Is it helping patient care? And the answers they're coming up with are resoundingly no. You know, 
the process of board certification and the extremes to which it's been taken now, you know, the times to recertify and how frequently you have to get certain credits and the costs associated continue to escalate and the risks of failing an exam are so great, but don't necessarily reflect the quality of the physician. You know, someone could be in practice successfully for 10 or 20 years and do poorly on this multiple choice exam and be taken away from any patient care or reimbursement associated. And it's an interesting concept is there are certain physicians, if you got in before a certain year, who are grandfathered and never have to recertify. And so what are the checks and balances there? And is that a fair system? You know, you just happen to come in at the right or the wrong time and have such drastically different requirements and expectations. And they're challenging the status quo. And it's a risky challenge to make. You know, they're going up against organizations that have a lot of money. And the irony might be that they have a lot of money from the physicians who've paid into the system that doesn't necessarily support them, um, but can serve to oppress them. But because it's what's been accepted as necessary for the certification process, we just keep doing it. And in the version of the fable that was presented in this article, an eagle, you know, an egg fell from a nest, hatched amongst chickens, he was raised by the farmer with the chickens, behaved like a chicken pecking the ground, staying in the coop, staying in the chicken yard. Um, but a visitor came one day and said, why is there an eagle in with your chickens? He should be flying. He's a bird of the sky. And the farmer said, well, he believes himself to be a chicken and that's what he's doing. And so the visitor comes back another day and says, can I just, you know, maybe take him out of this chicken yard and show him that he could fly farmer says sure they leave you know the eagle doesn't feel inclined he wants to go back to the familiar goes back to pecking the ground and again and again the visitor tries and finally one day takes him completely away to a mountaintop and you know shows him fellow birds of the sky and the eagle takes off and spreads his wings and realizes his fullest potential in the call from the article you know is are you an eagle or will you continue to believe yourself to be a chicken? And I thought about it, and my first instinct, uh, which, as I return to Oregon, makes me feel like I'm in an episode of Portlandia, was, well, is that offensive to the chickens? And that might be a ridiculous thing to think. But the comparison of, you know, the lack of potential of the chickens versus the eagle, and it felt it's kind of elitist to me, um, and it was also an interesting call to action. So I could appreciate it from both realms, but it didn't totally sit with me well. And I looked it up out of context of this article and just pulled up the fable on its own. And the other version is that the eagle is in the chicken yard. Same idea, you know, I was raised amongst them, but at times would look up and see eagles flying overhead, you know, would say, wow, you know, look at those magnificent birds. I wish I could fly like that. And all his chicken colleagues or adopted family members will say to him, well, we're chickens. You know, we're birds of the ground. They're birds of the air. You know, we're going to do what we do and that's it. And so in that case, the eagle dies believing himself only to have the capacities of a chicken, which is a slightly different spin. Still in some ways to me holds that offensiveness to the chicken. But I can see... 
the lessons to be taken, you know, that we can be a product of our surroundings, that we can not understand our greatest potential because of what we've been told, because of what we see surrounding us. And we have the potential to rise beyond, you know, if we can understand the powers we hold within, we can move beyond those limitations. Sometimes we need a different vantage point. You know, in the first version, it took until the eagle no longer saw his limited surroundings, but it was on the mountainside with an endless horizon. And then he could lean into it and take a chance. Some, I wonder too, you know, is it okay? Is there anything wrong inherently with being a chicken? I would say no for chickens. You know, that's how they're designed and they serve their purpose. So for them to not to have ego qualities, is that less than you know, or just different? So lots of different ways to spin that. But in the same week, I had the experience of rereading the book, Jonathan Livingston Siegel. And my hope is by the end of this weekend, to write more in depth about my experience of coming back to this book. But I'll give a little synopsis now. And in this book, Jonathan is a seagull who wants to fly. You know, he sees the speed of some birds and the gliding of other birds and, you know, the acrobatics that are possible. And he wants them for himself. But the seagull flock says to him, well, we're seagulls. We fly this way. We eat this food. You know, be a seagull. And Jonathan doesn't accept that. And he wants more and seeks more and achieves more through trial and error and by testing the norms and by asking questions and gains enlightenment, but also wants to go back to the flock to show them that it's not just him who's special, but that all of them have the potential within them to achieve great things. And this version of the story, you know, of seeing true potential and achieving it, somehow it's a little better with me that it's the same species, right? It's the same bird. And it's showing the merits of all of them and the capacity of all of them rather than comparing eagle and chicken is greater than or less than. It, to me, speaks to the osteopathic principles applied to the collective. You know, we all have within us the power to be well, to achieve and express full health. And if we think about, you know, what took us from an embryo to this human outside the womb and all the functions that we have, you know, even to just keep us alive, baseline functions to regulate blood pressure and body temperature and blood sugar. And all that's happening, you know, beyond our control. For the most part, we can certainly influence those things, but it's occurring. And all of those forces still exist. You know, we don't just form and then that's it. You know, we're there and we're done and that's all she wrote. We are formed and functioning and continuing to do so and continuing to heal. You know, we cut our skin and the skin heals. So all these forces are still in existence in our body. And what potential do they have for us, you know, to be the enlightened seagull in the flock? And my hope 
through this osteopathic life is that we'll begin to realize that on a deeper level. And I think it's really interesting and we can draw as many connections as we like. And I challenge us to do so. And there's the concept of coincidence that kind of the more aware you are, or the more open you are to seeing these connections, the more you'll see them. And it's a you know self-fulfillment prophecy and occurrence. But at the same time, if we can step back and gain some heightened awareness, isn't it fascinating to be able to see the connections in timing and the rightness of something happening? So even in the creation of this osteopathic life, you know, I've had on my list the people with whom I would like to speak, you know, those I've had the great honor and privilege to train with and to be educated by. And I've reached out to some of them, but not all. And in some ways I wanted to have more formed before I reached out. But just this week, um, one of my kindred colleagues who I speak with periodically, but haven't really in depth had a conversation in a number of years, texted me and we ended up having a phone call. And it's just like, yes, you know, she's <clears throat> at the same place in her experience and ready to explore further and learn more and teach and cultivate experiences deeper in osteopathy. And in some ways you can think how interesting that that's happening now, or of course it's happening now, you know, this is the right time for us and for this project. And on a very simple and more direct scale, because I do want to remain grounded in science, you know, through the lens of humanity. It's my hope, driven by data, but you know, softened by humanity. And when I think about coincidence in that way and the mapping of neural pathways, you know, we can look at studies and MRIs and see that, you know, neurons that fire together wire together. It's kind of the catchphrase. And things that happen at the same time, even when they're disparate, can create common pathways in the body. And we'll see that in patients, again, like I noted, who often come in for pain in my practice, might have been in a car accident. And they had, say, whiplash injury and residual neck pain. And really that neck pain has the possibility to get better in time, you know, that self-healing capacity of the body. And oftentimes when it doesn't, it's been wired inappropriately with some of the fear that came from that car accident. And, you know, there is that scare factor. You get struck in your car and you have that thought, oh my gosh, you know, how injured am I? Or you might have had a multiple experience of car accidents and already had fear in place. And now every time you buckle your seatbelts, you trigger that thought of the car is a scary and risky place and it can map those pain pathways and keep the neck pain in place. And sometimes it helps and is necessary to educate the patient on that experience. So while we both look at the structural component, are there restrictions physically in the neck and the muscles and the nerves surrounding that area that are maintaining your neck pain? And what other triggers exist that are causing this to perseverate, perhaps inappropriately? Not that the pain is not real, but that it's being triggered by a source 
that should not cause them pain. There's also the concept of viscerosomatic reflexes. So there are relationships directly between the pathways of the nerves from our organs, from our stomach, to spinal levels that relate to muscles. And there can be a relationship between the two that can seem totally unrelated. We could often highlight that experience for the patient. So pain between the shoulder blades is very common. And there are certainly mechanical components. You know, our posture in modern day life is to have a forward rolled thorax and that can certainly create muscle imbalances and dysfunctional patterns in the ribs and in the vertebral segments. And those can stand to be corrected, again, with treatment if appropriate or with exercises and postural modifications. But it's also the area that relates to the upper gastrointestinal tract. And what we also have commonly in modern um, American life is reflux and irritation and foods that are caustic you know, to the stomach. And patients also have a lot of heartburn and reflux. And in the interview, we can also highlight for the patients the coincidence of the onset of their back pain in the weeks following a flare of reflux or their first experience of reflux. And they could say, oh yeah, like I was having all this upset stomach and heartburn and I couldn't eat these foods and I had to start taking this medication. And since that time, I've had this pain between my shoulder blades. And it can certainly be both, but depending on the nature of the pain, we can highlight for them that really the pain in your back is being generated, is being triggered by the experience you're having in your stomach. So can we make some changes in your diet and you know, look at these medications or supplements that you're taking and adjust them appropriately to reduce that irritation. And that's a coincidence, you know, two things that are happening at the same time that we can show some physiological relation between and creating awareness of that connection can be the most effective means of truly treating for the resolution of that back pain. And it might be a little bit of all of them. But oftentimes patients are very unaware that their back pain could have anything to do with their reflux. It could be frustrated because they might have optimized all of those mechanical things. They have great posture. They've done stretches. You know, they're wearing a brace and yet the pain persists. But they treat their reflux ideally through lifestyle changes like dietary modification or timing of eating. And then their back pain is really better and they can see the connection. And so I think it's important to hold space for however you might relate to coincidences, you know, whether they think you think we're generating the relationship in our head and, you know, overreading things, whether you believe in them, you know, that the universe is sending them to you for a purpose, or whether you're willing to just think about what is the relationship? Why did these things both happen in this space and time? Or to dig deeper and find true connections, you know, see if there can be a scientific explanation for the relationship between things and if that can heighten your understanding and your capacity for better health on whatever level it is that you're seeking. So we'll close there for today and I thank you for journeying with me a little outside the outline of the topics and indulging number 11 today. And we'll get back on track with the outline for episode 12, but also trust 
that when a message needs to come through, we'll make the space for it and assign the meaning as is appropriate for the best health of all things. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey and This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.